episode 33 of the Elo Punters. I'm on it. Dude, today's been a really busy day. My name's Anurag Das. I'm here with Bob Wong and Daniel Gochel, and we're going to go live. Check it out. How you guys doing? Big news today on Magic Online. Today is the day. The day for what? The Hamsterman. Hamsterman's finally here. It's been so long. I've been playing this card in paper, and like I just haven't been able to play it at all online, and now it's finally here, and I'm just like, nice. Yeah, it's kind of old news at this point, man. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I've been... Uh, so, like, like, basically, here's how the grind works, okay? So, I know we'll, we'll go through all of the usual spiel here, but I'll just start talking about this stuff. Here's how the grind works. So, Wednesday is when the, the like, the patch happened, the patch went live to, to Magic uh, Online, right? And so, the whole day, the whole afternoon, I was on GoatBots' website, basically just clicking, like, refresh, 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 because... Technically, the way you can get these new cards the cheapest is like by, by spam paying good bots. Like, just like, hey, do you have Minskin Boo? Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to procure them that way. So then I went to the next best place, aka the Twitters, and I was able to get three whole copies. Not one, not two, but three whole copies. And then I opened 500 chests. Guess how many uh, Minskin Boos I got from that many chests? One. I actually got two, so... You and a couple maddening hexes as well. So I think I think that was a pretty good haul here. But yeah, I'm pretty excited for Hamster Man. What about you two? Anything anything else going on for y'all? In terms of my updates, I just came back from vacation. I was in Seattle and Vancouver, so a little bit of a West Coast trip. It was a lot of fun. Shout out to at Nerdgasm, aka Marcus Thibault, who makes the dopest um, savory cookies. So he like makes like meaty cookies, cheesy cookies that aren't like super sweet. Um, and he, he's based out of Vancouver. He also plays magic. So those were delicious. Wait, did you just put meat into a cookie? It's something you can do. Like chicken or beef. Yeah, he has like, he has like a, pe he has like a pizza cookie, which is like the calzone, but it's a little bit crumbly like a cookie. So basically it's a scam. No, it's not a scam. This is, this is sort of blowing my mind right now. I've never actually seen or heard of, yeah, I guess it's a calzone, but like then it's like with a, all right, I'm going to have to talk to Marcus about this because I, I remember when he was like first starting up his business and like he was going through all like the loops and the holes of like, well, what do I need to do if I want to make, you know, like a cookie company and things like that. And he kept showing us like these photos of these like two inch thick cookies that had, they, they were indescribably good. But now you're telling me my man's is out here putting pepperonis in cookies and I'm just like, okay. Yeah, it's definitely next level stuff. I had the jalapeno cornbread cookie that had cheese inside. It was, uh, it was hard to beat. So chaotic, good cookies. Uh, I mean, the cornbread was naturally sweet, but he doesn't really add sugar to his cookies. Wow, that's baffling to me. Yeah, Daniel, how about you? Have you been up to anything? I heard you uh, grinding some magic online. Well, I wasn't not in twos about hamster. I was nervous because I've been, I have a ton of hydroblast, so I might get financially devastated if the price goes down. Well, what was your, what was your buy-in price? Well, I don't want to expose my thing so that, uh, you know, go bots can try and pu push me out of my position here or something. But uh, I don't, like I said, I don't even care if I lose money in this. I just want to gamble. I'm just here for gambling. So I bought a bunch of Hydroblasts. Is, is that <laughs> like stonking on Magic Online? Like, is that a thing? That just seems like so... Definitely. I think, I, I mean, I ran the numbers. I'm pretty sure, like, you would make more I'm mean, doing Magic uh, Finance than, like, if you're the top pro. Yeah, but I think there might be proof for it. I mean, I don't know. I heard that Dan Bach guy. I don't know if he made his money actually on Magic Finance. But anyway, it's kind of, uh, I know people get tilted when they hear about magic oh, finance really or whatever, but, uh, well, I mean, well, <laughs> I'll just, so I'll tell you a funny fable of the mirror breaker story. So I would, cause so GoatBots, that, uh, I don't know how many people know about the website, but GoatBots has a really nice website. And one of the features is trade history. And I found in my trade history, when fable of the mirror breaker came out on moto, I was buying a bunch of them at 20 cents. 
So now the card is like, it hit a high of like $40. Yeah, wow. But I sold them all at like $3 because I changed my mind that the card wasn't good anymore. But that's an example. So I don't know back then, but if people were in the Boomer Zoomer Discord, they will remember me constantly posting every day about, oh, I love Fable, Mirror Breaker, so bullish on Fable. So basically, that's just an example there. Like if you bought a bunch of, if you bought like $100 of Fables for 20 cents, I think that would be like 20K at $40. So it's like it's like way more than like it's way more than like winning a pro tour or something basically. Yeah, yeah, but like, how would you find that much stock though? There, there cannot possibly be that many fables on the internet. Well, that would be like five hundred, but that would be like for a month because it was like a twenty cents for a month. So you'd have to like buy like every day for a month. Okay. Anyway, this is kind of fringe stuff. It's very if you're wrong, you'll lose a lot of money. One of my biggest losses was Dossy Voidwalker back in my naive days of of youth i was like oh that card looks busted i remember i bought a bunch I, I don't even like i'm not into magic finance for making money i just like gambling okay you know people go to casino they don't go there to make money it's just like to gamble so i bought a bunch of blue blasts to spin the wheel <laughs> <laughs> i think you were maybe right about the card dothy voidwalker is a very strong card however it's in the worst color so i don't know how much black sees play in like modern but it barely sees yeah. play in legacy wait what are you talking about racto scam is such a good deck hello Obosh, didn't, didn't that literally win a modern PTQ, like, just the other day? Oh, maybe it was modern red. Are you getting into modern now? Yeah, sort of, you know. So, uh, oh, that's curious, because you always like to play four-color control in Legacy. Yeah, Do you like yeah. to play four-color control in modern? Look, all I'll say is, I played one modern league in the past month, and I 5 would So I'm pretty sure if I actually tried, I'd farm them all. I know I have a couple people watching right now, so if anyone's wondering, I'm live-streaming this to Twitch as well. You should hang out there, twitch.tv slash unzmtg. Uh, and, and I know, like, a couple names already, like, Haha Toast, like, if I battled him in Modern, I would just roast him. Like, it, I just know, like, the top tier of Modern is, is very much like the top tier of Legacy. Actually, you know what, I will say that the top tier of Legacy, harder than the top tier of Modern, so I'd fit right in the comfortable slot of rank number one in, uh, in Modern if I ever really tried, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of effort, I'm lazy, that's just my take. What deck did he play? Do you play one deck format, one deck four colors? Of, of course, yes. I played. I played Daryl's list. I I paid twenty bucks to Daryl. I looked at his list. I copied his sideboard notes, and I played it through a league, and I just won. I didn't lose, and that's the transition. Bob, there's the alley oop. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of of masterful guides, yeah. So Daryl posted a, a awesome four color guide maybe three weeks ago, and then last week I was inspired by him to post my own guide for the best deck in Legacy, which is, as we all know, Blue Red Delver. So you can definitely find my guide. It's pinned on my Twitter. Um, definitely hit me up. Yeah, and, and Bob's deck guide is so good that he's actually going to be adding like he, he's constantly updating it too. So look forward to a segment about how Delver of Secrets is going to battle against the new menace that is Hamtaro Hamsterman. Uh, that's going to be some fun stuff to read about at some point, too. So, uh, actually, yeah, tell me a little bit more about this Blue-Red Delver Bible. Like, what, like for people that are interested in learning Legacy, or, like, wh why should I give you my money for that? Like, or, you know, like, wh what's good about it? What's in mm -hmm. it? Well, so first off, it's, it's over 10,000 words now. Let me just do a quick word count. Uh, I'm sitting at 12,200 words. Uh, so it's long and hefty, and there's a lot to it. There's both, you know, what everybody kind of looks for, which is the sideboard guide and matchup guide. And I actually go really into detail into sideboarding. Like, I don't just tell you, oh, you have these five cards in, these five cards out. I kind of explain my whole philosophy when it comes down to sideboarding, which is, you know, more or less pay attention to what your opponent plays, and you're trying to make your cards match up well against your opponent's cards. And so 
depending on what you see, you should change how you sideboard. Depending on how your opponent plays, you potentially could change how you sideboard. So I, I talk about what cards to change to you know improve the decks certain matchups. So I go into all that detail. Then I also obviously go into detail on like theory behind the deck. I know one thing Honoral you like to talk a lot about is you know, why is a deck good? It usually comes down to man advantage, tempo, and then card advantage. And this deck kind of has access to both. Um, then I also dive into the numbers. Like, you know, what are the actual win rates on MTGO based on the legacy data collection project um, run by Joe Dyer? So I look into kind of those numbers, which basically still show Blue-Red to be the best deck, even though it's not, um, you know, potentially as dominant as it was during the Raghavan times. Um, but it's still basically the most dominant deck. Uh, and then I also you know, go into different theories of, you know, what, how else you can build the deck, whether or not to play Shredder versus to play Delver, um, splash colors, the cards I'm playing, cards I'm not playing, but could play. Like it's very, very comprehensive. So if you're at all interested in, you know, blue, red tempo, um, I think it's probably worth a read. And I've definitely had people who are, you know, really well-seasoned players like Roland Chang uh, and Rich Callie both tell me like they learned something from reading it, which is pretty awesome. Um, as well as, you know, someone also reached out to me was like, hey, I like to play like the blue red shatter deck. I'm not sure if this will help me. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think it could still be useful. And then they, they bought the guide and they still got a lot out of it. So that's what I have to say. Nice. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really like or dislike about uh, sideboard guides in general is, is like just a simple like in and out is not really good. If I ever wanted to write something like this, like I remember, I think I like busted out of the screen right now. There was a time where I used to like write a bunch of stuff, and uh, I, I like I just feel like you have to go super in depth on the why uh, more than anything else. Okay, I guess I can't find my my document. Maybe it's on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. My Glub sideboard document. Maybe. Oh, no, no. This is it. My Delver matchup guide with miracles, and I wrote like two thousand words at least before I just got lazy and stopped on just like one single matchup because. Playing Magic, there's, like, so much depth to it, and it's not just about, like, the, oh, yeah, you know, the numbers go in and out like this. Like, I, I evaluated, like, all right, well, you know, like, if you see certain things, how do you react? How do you change, from, you know, from game to game or card to card? Or, like, when is, when is like, you know, day is good? What is, oh, here's, here's a crazy question, right? Like, when is, like, days number three, you know, something that you should keep in against a deck that is doing X, Y, or Z. And those sort of, like, subtle, like, minutiae, that, that's what's, like, really interesting to me, and that's what I would want to read about in a guide, right? Not just like the basic stuff. So it's good to see that you're 10,000 words deep and that this product is only going to keep growing. I know this is a huge shill, but I think Bob's generally got, genuinely got like a really good product here. So check it out. Uh, I think it's on patreon.com slash. Well, okay. So we, we do have our own group Patreon, but my guide is pinned to my Twitter, which is twitter.com slash grizzlepuff. There you go. All right. Twitter.com slash grizzlepuff. Okay, cool. So now that I've done my due diligence here in getting out good, uh, just Delver content out to the people, Bob, all right, we've talked about what you've done. I guess we can just move on to the Twitter questions. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Nope, just kidding. That was a trick. I wanted to see if you were paying attention. we got to give a shout-out to our editor, uh, at Force of Phil, who's going to make this sound crisp and clean. This is where this, I'm giving you a shout-out here. This is where you get to see what it's like to be an audio editor dealing with all of Honorog's dumb shit. All right, now we can go to the Twitter questions. Well, since we already started on the topic of MTG Finance, let's do an MTG Finance uh, question. So will Minskin Boo or Maddening Hex hit 100 tickets first? And this is from at Alice underscore zoo underscore stop. I would bet Minskin Boo for psychological reasons. Okay, explain. Because it's a Planeswalker, and like Planeswalkers seem rarer than enchantments. People hype up Minskin Boo more, 
and is playing funner and more cool decks, so people will be more excited to play with it, and it's more cool. It's more fun of a card. It's cooler of a card. Okay. But do you yeah. think do you think Maddening Hex is better? Whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, I think Legacy is a one deck format, so I'll obviously be biased. Like, I can't imagine not playing Days, but that's me, obviously. Uh, so that's why Carpet of Flowers is really good, though. So Green also has some good stuff going on. I don't know. It's like these are new cards, so I can't have that strong opinions when they just came out. I plan to play more Maddening Hex than Minskin Boo, but I don't know. Maybe how crazy Minskin Boo will be. I know Bob loves the hamster. Anirag seems to be a hamster guy. I think it's definitely a good card. Well, I'm, I'm on your, your side, I guess, because I I don't know if I go as far as calling Legacy a one-deck format. I think there is a best deck, so if, if that's how you define it, then it's a one-deck format. But my experience, and this is probably even more true in paper, is people like to play what they like to play. Like People aren't necessarily playing Legacy to get the highest win rate possible, even if you know that's what a certain subpopulation of Legacy players like to do, but it's not... By no means like the majority or close to the majority. And so, I mean, Honorog was talking about this as well. I mean, these other decks, and let's just call it basically, you know, red mid-range decks, green mid-range decks, red-green control decks with blue. Um, like all of these decks are getting a big upgrade, whereas Delver already kind of was the best deck. I don't know how much of an upgrade Maddening Hex is to the Del- Delver deck. So that's Basically, um, my opinion is Minsk and Boo is going to be a bigger upgrade and kind of slots into more decks as well as just the fact that, you know, people like to play lots of different stuff. Yeah, like the matchups Hex will be good against for Delver is like control and combo mostly. And maybe you could say Prism a little bit, but like usually historically people think his combo is like a pretty decent matchup and maybe people are freaked out about control a bit. I think it'll be pretty decent. Like if you play three Maddening Hex, I mean, I don't know how Anurag, he just said he taught, he thought a lot about control versus Delver, but if like Delver had like three Maddening Hex, like would he be scared of that? Control is just going to play three Hydro Blasts and hopefully they Dude, bought it before yeah, the spike. I'm already on it. I'm already on that tech. The three Hydro Blasts and I've actually been even considering the fourth. Look, I'll give you my, my take on this right now. All right, Minskin Boo is a mythic. Maddening Hex is a rare. That alone is going to be massive price differentials in terms of like rarity and pulls and things like that. I'm sure. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. The two cards have the exact same drop rate, so from a supply perspective, they should be equal. Minskin Boo is a good card. Maddening Hex, not so much. Minskin Boo also just applies to a lot more decks, so it's going to be a card that a lot of people are trying to play. Maddening Hex really only goes in the one deck, and y- you know, I mean, maybe you could board it in like other decks like, you know, Naya or something like that if you really wanted to beat Storm, but I think only Delver really uses it well. I, I don't know, it just, it, it, it's Hamster Man. Like, what you, you can tell me, a, like, what is what even is a Maddening Hex? A Hex can't run, but a Hamster's got four legs. A Hamster can be thrown. You see what I'm saying? Are you catching what I'm, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I, I got one question for you, though. Have you got your Hamster Caracas yet? Many times, actually, and I, I've, uh, <laughs> I've been very sad. I do want to talk about that at some point, but as any, if anyone is wondering right now, apparently GoatBots is selling uh, Minskin Boo for 77 tickets and Maddening Hex for, I think, like 50-something right now, so that's about what I would expect. It's kind of crazy that these are the prices already after day one, which is why, going back to the beginning of the podcast, it's important for everyone to be refreshing that GoatBots page and I know I'm giving out my secret tech, but, you know, for your game, it's worth it. So is this, is this crazy expensive or crazy cheap? I don't know. I just want to caution people. One big caveat is these cards tend to go down over time. If you look at the price chart for, you know, Displacer Kitten or Cabot Cannoneer, that's another card that hit 100 ticks and then steeply dropped. It's because the supply is so low right now. And 
uh, everybody wants to play with it. I mean, there's going to be a super qualifier this weekend that people want to try the new cards. And so especially, you know, if people are trying to play like four Minsk and Boo in the same deck, then that's just going to lead to like a crazy amount of demand. If, if you're patient and willing to wait, I'm sure that both of these cards will go down significantly in the next month. Um, obviously, if you want to play it now, you kind of just got to pay the price. There's literally a PTQ on Saturday. Like, so if you want the competitive edge, I think you're going to have to just shell out some, some money here to get some Why support. Why is it a PTQ or a RCQ? It's a super qualifier, which I believe qualifies you to the RC. So it's more like a PPTQ than a PTQ. Wow, that's so bad. It's like a 300, <laughs> a 200 person RCQ. And meanwhile, I hear stories about like Doomwing driving out to like 10 man Pioneer events. So wait a minute. Is this a way to qualify for the Pro Tour playing Legacy? No, I, I believe it qualifies you for the RC, which can yeah, get you to the, the PT. Thing, right? it's like, no, it's not the same thing. There's an RC and there's a PT. PT is above RC. Yes, Dad, I understand that. What I mean to say is it's like, like qualifying for anything, you can't do that with Legacy normally. What do you mean? We've had Legacy qualifiers for years now. <laughs> no, 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 but they don't do that anymore. The only formats that you can host are... Uh, I think it's like Standard, Modern, Pioneer, and Seal. No, there were definitely a bunch of super qualifiers that qualified you to the Arena PTs, Mythic Championships, whatever you want to call it. Was this after Huey's announcement? No, it was during the pandemic. Like, I qualified... Yeah, 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 I know, but like Huey's announcement, after that, everything changed. Well, they have the Legacy Mox still, technically. Okay, yeah, there's also the Legacy Mox too, yeah. Okay, cool. But it's just a PPTQ. Well, I mean, the prizes are probably going to be decent. Like, I might play all... Go bots also as an event calculator. Like I'll check the prizes because the super cues can have decent prizes. It's kind of like a challenge, but it's like nine rounds. But yeah, it is kind of funny that the that there are RCQs. I guess they're trying to make the PT harder to qualify on Moto or get people to play in paper again. Maybe who who knows what's going on? But I think they're just trying to make the PT more exclusive and make the RC more of like the main gateway, if you will. I, I just want to warn people. So if anybody gets too excited excited they don't so they don't get disappointed or whatever so it's kind of like a chill event the rcq it's not super serious if you lose you know you can just go to a five person i mean ten person ptq is doom like at your lgs i know this isn't on our script but it kind of blows my mind that then what only 48 people from atlanta get to actually go to the pro tour which means the pro tour is going to be pretty small i mean there might be like a couple extra qualifications here or there but like 48 from this region and then i know canada has two regional championships and then Maybe from all these other places combined, like, is this how, how big is this event even going to be? Like, I mean, pro tours are usually around four hundred people, so I'd be oh. assume it's in that well, range. The online arena PTs have been like under three hundred each. I feel like they're like two fifty ish or less online ones. That's interesting. Yeah, because oh yeah, that's another point too is that people can qualify for the pro tour playing online as well, which I don't know anything about because I am just so detached from arena. But okay, all right. To qualify for the PT, it needs to be like from the mocks or something on arena. Um, it's not easy to qualify for the PT online. Uh, we should move on to the next question. All right, well, yeah, this is a question for you. With respect to four-color control, do you like playing Yorion right now? And do you like to play basics or all non-basics? And this is this is from, at, yeah, at UWHM05. Uh, okay, so two things. The reason I play Yorion is pretty simple, is because I can't fit all the card advantage into my deck otherwise. And I think this is an important concept of playing all the card advantage you possibly can. Because right now, the way the deck plays out, like in 60 cards, I've looked at a lot of lists, and they look just so unappealing. Like, 
they're just like two Sylvan libraries and like a bunch of Min- Minskin booze and like two Narsets. And I'm just like, I think removal is good to have, but it's also like you don't want hands just full of removal, right? Because if your hand is like sword, swords, prismatic ending, and your opponent goes like expressive iteration or like planeswalker, you're, you're so upset. You're just like, you, you literally cannot win the game. Like if your opponent just starts chaining expressive iterations and you're looking at a hand of like removal spells, right? Like that is how tempo decks have historically just beaten up on, on control decks is just by like drawing cards, right? When hopefully thinking to stockpile a bunch of removal spells and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work out that way. So rather than there are two ways to do it, either you counter the removal spells or you play your own Sorry, either you counter the card advantage spells or you play your own uh, card advantage spells. And so I think that's why I like to play the four expressive iterations, the four NAR sets. And I mean, even Yorion is just free value. Like, it's just how I prefer it. This means that your combo matchups are probably going to be bad. And at this point, I think I've decided to just, like, scoop to Dark Ritual, and that's fine. That's just the way of life. You have to, you know, just, like, understand that it is what it is. Yeah, I, I think that's just my take on it. I think Yorion, good, because it gives you extra space. It gives you a lot of extra value. And it's how I stay ahead of the curve. Because here's the thing, right? Like, everyone is going to be doing the 60-card version, and I want to beat them. I just, I want to beat the best, right? That's how you generally build control. You build it to react to something. So that's what that is. In terms of, like, duels versus basics, it really depends on the spells you're casting. That's the first thing. Like, when you want to build a mana base, I think you need to look at, like, like tell yourself, like, okay, what is my curve going to look like? All right, turn one ponder, turn two pass, turn three expressive iteration, or maybe, like, turn one ponder turn one swords through days or like turn three like narset like so then you have to like or like endurance or something you have to evaluate like what your pips look like each each turn and then make an ideal mana base based off of that right so the fetch pattern that i had analyzed a long time ago was like turn one tundra ponder turn two maybe like fetch up a taiga and then go for tropical island afterwards right that gives you iteration that gives you endurance and that also gives you narset so that would be my ideal curve I think, but that's because I'm playing all those cards. If you cut endurance from the deck, maybe you don't need to go Tropical Island on turn three. You know, maybe you could do something else. So, so I would say like think about it that way first, and then try to figure out whether you can sustain basics because basics have a major cost, which is that in four colors you just can't cast your spells a lot of the time. I think like before I revamp my mana base. There was a there was like an event where I played four four dragons race channelers and like two endurances. I literally couldn't cast a single spell. Like I, I just couldn't cast my spells and it was really really bad. And I had a couple basics in there. I had a lot of like monocolored sources like sanctuary, coliseum, Bazaju, you know all this sort of stuff. Since then I've like removed half that crap and it's just like fetch lands and I'm just like all right. I just need to cast my spells and. The way I get punished is by, like, Price of Progress and maybe, like, Blood Moon here or there. All right, cool. All right, you know, that, that's what it is. Like, I think... Um, that's why I'll you have three like, Hydro Blasts. Yeah, exactly. That's why I have three Hydro Blasts. And maybe I'll add, like, a basic island in there if I really want to. But that's just my general take on it, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if, if Red becomes much more popular, which, you know, obviously people are excited about the new cards and it's good against Delver, um, you know, you're going to have another tool in your arsenal for cheap counterspell slash removal, which is exactly what Control is looking for, even more so than tempo decks sometimes. Um, yeah, so- actually, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like, you know, preach the gospel here a little bit. Hydro Blast is an insane card right now. It's something that I, I hate. I hate Hydro Blast. Right, the first time I ever registered Hydro Blast was in the 2014 uh, GP Jersey uh, event, and that's the one where like Treasure Cruise and Dig Time were legal. And I just like hated playing Blue Blast, but it was so importantly good at, at just doing what it did. Right, like you play a bunch of Red Blast and you play a bunch of Blue Blast. 
because Red Blast was so good at the time. I think we're at the same point right now, but it's not just Red Blast. It's like it's like Expressive Iteration. You have Minskin Boo. Mono Red uh, Stompy is like maybe one of the best decks in the format. Dragon's Rage Channeler is another one. That's really good too. And then... Yeah, also people are playing Painter. So, yeah, Painter, that's another Yeah, deck. that's another good one too. Callum like 9-0'd the Saturday event with Painter and then it top into the next day as well. And hell, even Death and Taxes is starting to splash uh, red for like Magus and Price of Progress and Red Blast. Like, at that point, if I'm even boarding in or thinking about it, like in that matchup, come on, right? Like, it, it's 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 a good card, and I think you just need to be playing it to respect the meta right now. All right, what's the next question? All right, so here's our last Twitter question of the day. What is one piece of advice you would give new or returning Legacy players? Um, I wonder how long they've been off because so so much has changed, so much is different. But I, I would say um, one thing that has changed is... Um, you know, ever since they changed the design philosophy, like you really want to be casting your spells sooner. Um, for ex- instance, in the blue red Delver deck, like you have Merktide Regent and that's a Delve spell. You, you used to want to like hold your brainstorms until as late as possible. Um, but now because of Merktide Regent, you kind of just want to play your cantrips so that you can play your Merktide as soon as possible. So I think that's one play, play pattern that's changed somewhat is you just want to be casting your spells yeah i have all right this might i don't know if this is tough love or not but it really means my first question this is like identify your goals like what do you want to do you want to win tournaments okay cool how bad do you want it? you know what i mean it's interesting because there was this recent like drama like in esports between like nate shot and and uh, one of his employees uh, i think his name was like frosty or something like that and basically frosty was talking about how like you know the org didn't support them then they got kicked off and then nature came in and was like y'all didn't work hard enough for this shit and he went on this like old boomer speech where he's just like you know back in my day it was 12 hours streaming and we upload to youtube we go to bed we wake up we rinse repeat that kind of thing and i would say like like that's the thing that i would really say is like if you want to win there's only one thing that you should be doing and that's just playing all the magic online you possibly can i mean like like, when I was trying to get good, like, back in the day, like, literally, I, like, that's why maybe it resonated with me so much, what Nate Shot was saying, is because, like, I would do that. I would play, like, two to three leagues of Magic Online every day. I, just, I, I, like, you know, at work, like, in my downtime or my breaks, I'd be thinking about Magic. I'd come home, I'd stream Magic. It was it was a lot of Magic. That's what it really is, I think, is you just have to, like, play a lot, and then you will naturally, every single other piece of advice that you get will naturally just come to you, right? Like, you need to... Like, you know, do your homework, like figure out what's in the meta, right? That'll come to you because you'll play against all of that stuff. Uh, you know, you have to uh, learn all the interactions in your deck. That'll come to you naturally because you'll be playing so much. That That's my advice. Just play a shit ton. I was thinking about saying what Anurag said at first where it's like you have to ask what your goals are. But then I figured maybe that person's asking for new interactions. But I was going to say that in the context of, yeah, like, but I, I would say about playing a lot, though, you know, people talk sometimes about the concept of um, working hard versus working smart. Just because you're playing a lot doesn't necessarily, you want to be like, um, kind of thinking about what you're doing. Like, sometimes you can like do stuff a lot, but it won't actually help. So if you, I mean, if you really like stuff like watching your own replays, I don't even do that, but I know it helps a ton. Don't like, don't think because you play a lot, therefore you'll get a lot better. Because I've seen a lot of people get pretty upset. Where they're like, oh, I practice so much, but like it's not working. Like it's more than just that. Like it's also like being able to learn from your games, basically. Because if you're just like, I think Gary Thompson was the guy who said that. Where like, I think they were in testing, and somebody said, "You want to jam games?" And then Gary Thompson went on some Gordon Ramsay speech where he says, "Don't use the word jam games against me." Like we have to be like thinking about what we're doing. But it can it can also it's kind of a complicated situation because there's a lot of stuff. Like if you play a lot, then you'll learn a lot. Yeah just in general but also yeah i would say like if you play a lot sometimes you can get confused because you're like you're playing a lot but then you might be like turning off your brain sometimes okay it depends on you know how much your time you have 
in this theoretical person who's like their only goal is to become good at magic, then yeah, that can make some sense. Um, if you are more limited on time, I would suggest getting like, you know, finding a deck specialist who plays your deck and then maybe getting some coaching from them. Because I feel like that's a piece that a lot of people are missing to get to that kind of um, next higher level is like, hey, see how the best does it and uh, you'll probably learn a thing or two. So that's that would be my recommendation, actually. Yeah. I just want to add one thing, because I felt like, in case your question was just like, what's different now, I would just say threats win the game way faster, because back then you had Nimble Mongoose, Tarmogoyf, those were true names, those were the threats. Now the threats are like, they're banned, but like Dreadhorde Arcanist, Ragavant, Uro. So like all the threats just went really fast, so expect a much faster play. Think of this format more like Vintage now, than, than Legacy back in the day. Like, if you on top with a threat, it's just going to win tur- turbo fast, so that'll be a bit different than if you used to play back in the slow-paced days. That's a really good point. Yeah, I, I think... One thing that is very important, too, is I was thinking about, like, why the Zoomers are so good. And, and I think one thing that they do very well is, like, they network really well with each other, which is kind of a weird thing to say for, like, you know, just kids playing Magic. But, like, that's another thing that I think is important, too, right? But, like, Bob sort of suggested it as well. Like, don't reinvent the wheel, right? Like, get a coach who's done all this sort of stuff. You can just, like, it'll cost you some money. Yeah, I'm sure. But, like, it, it, you know, they'll just, like, they'll get you up to speed really fast and you can spend more time doing the things that are more important rather than like you know all the, like the basic work and stuff like that but then also like network like don't don't just test by yourself too right like test with a bunch of people you know make you know get get a bunch of ideas and then uh you know shape that into something that's a bit more relevant um i would guess but find the right set of people i mean like the what's the like the that uh, was it age-old advice or whatever it's like hang around people that are better than you and you just like naturally climb to their level so find the right people and and i'm sure like just over time, play a lot of magic. It, it'll, it'll, it'll get there. But yeah, I, I really like Daniel's take on the theory there. That kind of just like, mm-hmm. wow, that's profound. Yeah, definitely one change. All right, yeah, thanks to at Sahar Murhadi for that question. Um, all right, yeah, let's move on to our first topic of the day, which actually also ties into one of our Twitter questions from Roland Chang, which was Dominaria spoilers. So he was asking, you know, how would you rank the lords? In my opinion, I would probably go Goblin Lord, Merfolk Lord. Elf Lord, and I don't really consider the Cleric Lord or the Soldier Lord to be playable. Wait, Cleric Lord? What? Yeah, there's a <laughs> Cleric Lord. Oh, that's awkward. Okay. Cool. I, uh, I was going to say, I was mauling because I was brewing standard decks, and I was like, yeah, there's a lot of good white cards, and there's literally no soldiers in standard, so they're kind of griefing the white players in standard, and then what's up with that, Watsi, if you're listening? Wizards and griefing white players, just, okay, wait, hold up, players that play white deck, wait. Okay, I... Yeah, there's literally no soldiers Maybe there's more soldiers next set, but I was like, anyway, yeah, I would, I would agree with Bob about putting the Goblin Lord above, above the Merfolk Lord. The reason why, so because I, I just talk about the Merfolk Lord quickly because I've been seeing some hype about Merfolk, some insider trading with Merfolk too. Here's the thing about Merfolk though: if all the old Merfolk cards aren't that good, how is making one new card that's like kind of good gonna make all the old cards worth playing again? I mean, not to hate if there's some go- some Merfolk fan who's hating on me, like. Merfolk's fine or whatever. That's just my, 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 my opinion on it. Whereas at least Goblins, like, people were kind of playing that deck. So, like, then it's just, like, upgrading a deck that was already kind of working. So, so the Goblin Lord makes sense. And, yeah, I gotta read the Elf Lord right now, which... I'm not a Legacy Wait, Elf okay, specialist. Wait, Medallion Hexcatcher is one in a blue for a Flash Merfolk Wizard that not only gives your team plus one, plus one, assuming you're playing Merfolk, you can also sacrifice the Merfolk to counter-target non-creature spell unless it's controlled as well, right? So that's, like, basically days on a Merfolk, right? You're telling me that shit ain't good? I do not believe you for a second. Actually, okay, here, here's my major gripe with Vidalion Hexcatcher, is that Merfolk never really felt like a go-wide deck. 
You know what I mean? Like, goblins, I could definitely see them going wide. But Merfolk always felt like you have, like, two lords and another creature in play, and you're, like, punching in for, like, one big chunk of damage, like, on turn three or turn four. And if you have to sacrifice and, like, sacrifice a Merfolk and, like, reduce your density of creatures, I'm not so happy. I think this card would be really cool if there were playable, like, token generators that made Merfolk as well. Or, and, and this is the one thing that I think nobody has talked about, but, yo, remember that Changeling deck? Magda, and like, yeah, sure, uh, but yeah, Magda works so well with all, all of these, I mean, that Changeling deck was sweet, because you could, you have all the goblins, and all the merfolk, and all the elves. <laughs> what Changeling and deck? I don't remember this at all. What? I'm going to break you right now. That Changeling deck also has, brace for it, all the hamsters, too. Boom! Foghorn! Pew, 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 pew! All right, hold on. You're going to need to explain some of these cards, Anurag. I think, yeah, explain you the changes in deck, that... explain Magda. Okay, all right. So it was like, I, I forget, I played it on stream like a long time ago. There's the blue like insect changeling. It's like moth dust changeling or something like that. Um, let me get the oracle text on that because I think it's interesting. But you combine it with Magda to tap a bunch of your creatures and then generate a lot of treasure tokens. And then uh, you can sack, you can use Magda's ability to get like some sort of crazy broken card from your deck put into play but then also it had like the uh grist hunger tide slash dwarven recruiter combo in the deck as well yeah here it is moth dust changeling it's a blue mana for a shapeshifter that has changeling and it's a one one tap an untapped creature you control moth dust changeling gains flying until end of turn but tapping a dwarf will proc the magda and so you have a combo there and then you had a backup combo right the point is is that it played a shit ton of changeling it had like the double striking one, it had, um, I forgot them all, but like it had a shit ton of changes, okay? You gotta believe me on this one. And uh, what was really interesting is that um, with all these lords, like you get buffed and you can also sort of like draw cards. Actually, that's kind of an interesting question is do changelings count as goblins in exile as well? They do, right? Yeah, so they should synergize with all the stuff. And then they're all hamsters, so you can sack them all and, and get the additional abilities out of Minskin Boost. So basically, I, I'm like five-heading right now. Like, I think I might be going up. The biggest problem is these lords are not changelings, so they don't work for Magda, which requires dwarves. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky. I'm not saying it's easy, but the idea is there. And I don't even care about the lords. I just want to fling hamsters. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's going to be so sweet. Yeah, I mean, the hamsters' tribal strategy seems good. Yeah, that part makes more sense. I don't know about tossing these lords in there um also you alluded to something which was merfolk already has a shit ton of lords um this is probably the best lord uh but merfolk was not short lords they, what they were short was you know to your point token generators and even more importantly good one drops like there were maybe like people were playing tide shaper and um you know the curse catcher obviously this kind of does the same thing as curse catcher so um it's a little bit awkward there but merfolk was lacking good one drops like you really need more one drops to make um, to make it run. So I don't necessarily think it really bumps Merfolk that much. It was like tier four, and now it's like more tier three. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Well, this elf looks kind of good to me, to be honest. I mean, I'm not an elf specialist, but if you if you play one of the green send it out, it's like kind of like a glimpse of nature. Whatever you cast an elf spell, pay green, draw a card. Yeah, yeah it like... seems like an easy one of in the Nettle Sentinel builds of elves. But that being said, the Nettle Sentinel builds of elves win rate has been extremely low lately um pretty much all the successful elves lifts have been playing elvish reclaimer and then most recently you know hello noon cut glimpse from the deck entirely to be playing fiend artisan um and basically shriek maw and endurance so it's almost like not even it's like a half elf deck now so obviously uh you know this new elf lord does not fit well in his build of the deck 
Um, so the question is, does this new elf lore that creates glimpse, is it enough to buff the Nettle Sentinel version of the deck? And I think it does buff it, but maybe it's, again, it's something like from tier 4 to tier 3. I will say this thing, though. Unholy Heat stocks are going up. So that that, that, that deck that you're describing makes Unholy Heat sound really good. I, I tried Unholy Heat a couple weeks ago, or last week in Delve, or a, or a blue-red deck. It was way better than I expected. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I agree. Unholy Heat is insane. At this point, too, I don't think you even... Like, Lightning Bolt going down in numbers for Unholy Heat makes so much sense to me, because... Your literal win condition is a dragon that is like three lightning bolts per attack. It's just like, why do you need lightning bolt anymore when unholy heat basically does everything? Like maybe like one or two bolts in the deck to to like get there if you really need need it. But I think unholy heat just like is a lot cleaner and is a lot better against like all the stuff that people will typically play to beat Delver, like endurance or like big creatures like Knight of the Reliquary or like you know Elvish Reclaimer, all this sort of stuff. I want to go back to the Goblin Horde Master, though, because I think this card is actually... It's not even close when you compare it to the other two Lords of Legacy, at least, because Goblins already has such insane cards like Mog War Marshal and Skirk Prospector, and there alone you get to like do so many crazy combos with this card. The fact that it's also just a two-mana Lord, which is, like we've talked about, something that Goblins has just never had before, or like not in a great capacity, is is insane. Like This, this solves a problem for the deck, and it also provides additional value. Like you mentioned, Bob, the other card, the Merfolk, doesn't really do that too much. You know, I, I don't. I mean, maybe Merfolk beats all the fair decks and needs help against like unfair decks, and that's where this would be good. But I don't know. I just I feel like it's leagues apart. And also, I think the Leaf Crown Visionary is just kind of bad. Oh my god, dude, he's a hater. No, the, yeah, the Goblin Lord does seem good, but don't hate on the Leaf Clan, dude. It's a it's a glimpse of nature on a stick. Uh, all right, there are a couple other cards. Bob, what else were you excited about? I know there was one card that you have not shut up about, despite the fact that I think it's bad. Interesting. All right, let's talk about this one. So this one's Founding the Third Path. It's a saga with Reed Ahead. So you can start on whatever chapter you like. Uh, chapter one, you may cast an instant or sorcery with mana value one or two without paying its cost. And this card itself costs one in a blue. So it's basically lets you you know use this one in a blue to cast whatever. Um, the, the key part of this a stage of the saga though is um, it's mana fixing, so I'll come back to that. Um, stage two, target player mills four. This is pretty good with you know Merktide Regent, as well as good with some cards like Snapcaster Mage uh, and itself. Um, chapter three, exile target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, copy it, and you may cast it. Um, so this is how I describe this card. It seems like a Snapcaster Mage that is sorcery speed, but then you have a little bit of other flexibility and mana fixing on top of it. So what are some things I'm excited to do with this card? Um, uh, chapter one, I want to use it to fix my mana. And so uh, you can play this in you know straight blue-red, um, blue-red Shredder, for instance, but I think it makes more sense in either Jeskai or Grixis. Jeskai, you can be casting Plows off of this card um, while still fetching basics. Um, in Grixis, you can be casting Him to Torok and Expressive Iteration off of this card. Um, and then what I'm excited about is the flashback mode is you're going to be able to cast those card advantage spells again a second time. So I think this is like a very clean way to get super ahead on cards without um, giving up um, too much. Like you, you have a lot of versatility here. The only thing you lose is kind of the instant speed, which could matter for some of your counter spells. Okay. All right. So I think the very obvious card to compare this to is maybe like Snapcaster Mage, right? And so now we need to start thinking like, why is this better than something like Snapcaster Mage? And we can talk about the upsides to Snapcaster Mage. 
I think the, the most important one to me, or the most obvious one to me, is that Snapcaster is a 2-1 body that can attack and block. Okay, fine. That's not that great. The body hasn't really aged too well over time. I think what's really interesting to me is the way that Snapcaster Mage differs from Founding the Third Path, in that Chapter 3 of Founding the Third Path reads, Exile target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, copy it. You may cast the copy, right? Which, the way I understand it is, this is a then-and-there effect. You have to card the target the card, and you have to cast the flashback or whatever it is right then and there, right? So you don't get to, like, brainstorm on your end step. You don't get to, like, sort the plowshares at a better time. You have to do it right then and there, which is a pretty big restriction depending on how you want to use this card. Now, you mentioned Expressive Iteration, and you also mentioned Hindotora, and I think both of those cards are actually pretty freaking good with founding the third path. Um, I think cards like like removal spells, for example, that's where you might stress a little bit. And I think maybe like the brainstorms and ponders are not as good either because when you play Founding the Third Path, you want to get the full two mana value out of the first side, the first ability, and obviously giving up the free mana from casting like a brainstorm or a ponder, not so great. Bouncing Snapcaster Mage with Teferi, very powerful play. Can't really do that with Founding the Third Path because the Saga will sacrifice itself um, after the third ability goes off. Still kind of cool that, you know, at least they gave it read ahead, which means that it can do Snapcaster Mage things if you need that ability. And I think that is what is maybe the best part about it is that it is flexible. Like, you don't necessarily have to wait for, like, a Hindu Torak. You don't necessarily have to wait for an expressive iteration. If you have something in the graveyard, you can just do it right then and there. Uh, which is which is good. Flexibility. This card is flexible. I will give you that much. I'm just not so sure if it's like broken. But the point you made about mana fixing is maybe what really sells it to me because now you can start doing dumb stuff off of basics. And that is very good for any control deck that is looking to play complicated cards uh, like like Expressive Iteration and, and Indotorog. Um, yeah, one last thing I can call out. You control your Doomsday opponents by playing this and milling them before. <laughs> That's great. I'm sold. Wait, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I would say one difference between Snapcaster is that when you do the exile mode, you don't have to pay for the copy at that turn. So like, if it was in play, you just gotta play, you gotta untap with all your lands and then cast your iteration on him. So like, you can cast him or iteration cheaper, basically. Yeah, and and so I think, I don't think this necessarily replaces Snapcaster Mage. I think you can play both. For instance, let's talk Grixis Control. Like that deck already, you know, plays Snapcaster Mage and Culligan's Command. Um, this card, when you get onto the third chapter with Culligan's Command and you're untapped, then you don't have to have like five mana basically to snap past her Culligan's command. You only need three mana, so it, it adds an additional flexibility there as well. And you can uh, you can brainstorm in response to the mill mode. Grixis is a really good home for this card because I was thinking about some of the other spells that they're playing lately, and like sudden edict is another chunky spell that you want to be able to cast. Basically, like this card will save you two mana, and that is something that you need to ask yourself like, is it worth it for going down a card for basically what is two turns, right? Or I guess like one turn. It's almost like one of those like suspend spells, right? Because milling four isn't really valuable, but and then you're actually down like a card for a while. But I guess if you're playing something that either generates value or is just, like super super relevant in a matchup that you're playing, like sudden eating against like Merit Lodge or against like I don't know, like Merktide Region or something like that, then maybe it's 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 fine. Overall, I I am I'm curious to see how this will go. And yeah, but you 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 also don't have to wait a turn to get your card back. Like you can do it immediately. So I wouldn't say that's necessarily a, well, a like, downside. I mean, what I mean to say is, is like if you play like it on turn two or in Hibitorok, right, using the first ability, then, well, then next but then you're also getting a card too. So yeah, so it's like parity. You're suspend. You're at parity for a turn, and that I'm just saying these are the kind of things that could be liabilities, and that's what you need to evaluate when you're like looking at the floor and ceiling of a card, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think this card is interesting in you know three color and four color control. 
I'm not sure about it in tempo, but I mean, it is very appealing with expressive iteration because I think in a lot of these blue red tempo mirrors, it basically comes down to who casts and resolves the most iterations. And this is another way to do that. So I'm still interested in it in tempo decks as well. Oh, this is an interesting metaphor. So it's Arkham's Astrolabe, but you always draw a spell. I don't know how, how I would... Uh, think about that because I don't think this is nearly as good at mana fixing because you only get to do it once and then it goes yeah, away. Like so fix one, one spell's worth of mana anyways. Right. Well, yeah, but the issue is like, what if this gets countered? Like, what if you like daze or counter this card and then you have fetched basics and you can't cast your spells anymore? Like, that's not reliable. To oh, me. yeah, that's actually really awkward. Now that I'm thinking about it, let's say like you have underground sea and badlands in play, and like in your upkeep you get wastelanded. You can't play a land and then cast the Himbatora from your graveyard, can you? Ah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you don't have the time to play the land. That's correct. Right, so you could actually... Okay, so so now the, this like whole copy, you may cast the copy line in Chapter 3 is actually... That's, that's like a huge nerf. I mean, things have to be going really good. Even if this card is bad, what I will say is that it prevents a very, very interesting deck building puzzle. How you want to sort of like leverage your entire deck to like support this card because... The more I think about it, the more I realize this is a definitely a build build around me kind of card where you need to like consider all the fail cases. But then the upside of this card is you have more two mana draw twos or two mana discard twos in your deck, which is always something you're trying to do for cheaper in Legacy. Well, it does seem really good with him to me because like part of the problem with him is you play him, but you need a follow up, and this gives you the follow up because like if you play this and then cast him for free, then now you have then then the pro- problem is like you would stumble and like not do anything to close the game. But it gives you a way to close the game, which is appealing, because with the search chapter, being able to copy any spell, it kind of lets you take advantage of the first uh, wave. And also, since it's not black-black, it's really good. But I don't know if him deck will make a comeback, but it's definitely pretty good with him. Now, this is interesting. Um, I'm reading my chat right now. Uh, D1 says it does, uh, the, like, this ability does get around Graph Digger's Cage, which is, like, another small plus for the card. I'll take that. I didn't even think about that. What's the next card, Bob? Cool. Um, I think those were the big ones. Um, some other cards that are probably playable. Uh, Squee, Dubious Monarch. Two, uh, three for a 2-2 two, two haste whenever it attacks, create a 1-1 one, one red goblin creature. Uh, you, uh, the unique part about this card, though, is you may cast it from its graveyard. Uh, essentially has escape for four mana and exiling four cards. Um, so I think this is just like another, basically, um, Legion Warboss. It does not kill as fast as Rebel Master. It kills at basically the same speed as Warboss. But then because it has Delve, um, it has an advantage there, but it's a legend, so it's a little bit weaker to Caracas. Um, but it just seems like another, you know, two or three of in the Moonstoppy deck. Um, given that it's a legend. Another easy upgrade for them. I don't know, being able to bounce a goblin, because this is also a legend, right? Yeah, it's a legend. That could be relevant. I think I think one thing that I've thought about with Minsk and Boo coming into the metagame is that the card Caracas gets really good now because it basically counters Minsk and Boo like, a lot. Um, and if everyone's playing Caracas, I'd rather just not ever have to deal with that interaction of getting my my homie bounced but well it would be like a card that's like decent against grinding against delver i guess i don't know if they care about that slot but like it could be like a two of i mean i don't know if they would play it but like as a delver player usually your game plan is to like kill all their stuff it's not like insane because they could obviously race you with the flyers but it's kind of annoying because you play against delver and it's like if you bolt it you can get it back later maybe it's too weak for other matchups but it would definitely i mean i don't think mono red is ever going to like escape this more than once because generally speaking like either mono red has permanence in play and they're winning the game or their permanence get countered they're in the graveyard and they're losing the game uh, there's very rarely like a mix in between oh my goodness i didn't even think about this this card synergizes well with fable that's true 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's also they're usually the last cards they play are pretty sus. Like <laughs> they usually play like Hazaret. I guess they play that four drop Fireflux squad now, which I guess is kind of good. But you know, basically their last slots. But yeah, I, I it seems weak to me. But like as a Delver player, I could see, it could be annoying some games. Though it's like not insane, and like it's probably not that good in other matchups. Maybe it's going to mono red mirror. Like I don't I don't know if that is controversial to talk about. There is one card though that seems like insane to me. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, is yeah. it Leyline Binding? No. Wait, Onyrog, do you have a guess? Wait, it was not Leyline Binding? No. I mean, that card might be really good, but there was another card. Less obvious card. It's green. It's a green instant. I'll say I can say it in a second. I don't it's know if you know. a green instant, and it's bonkers broken. It literally blew my mind when I read it. It's like insane. All right, what is I it? I don't know. What is it? Uh, Terra Sunder. Do you know what that card is? Uh, is this Legacy playable? Exiled target artifact or enchantments. So it's green, colorless, disenchant. <laughs> Exiled target colorless artifact or enchantment. Kicker black one. If the spell was kicked, exile target non-land permanent. So this card seems pretty nutty to me because it's like a disenchant that exiles merit lage or literally any permanent. Like people literally played disenchant in Legacy. I mean, I played Legacy. I played a lot of disenchant. Also, it exiles. Exile is like pretty relevant. Maybe not as much in Legacy, but I know in other formats there's like a lot of like exile you know, Worm Coil, Hangerback Walker. So not only is it not just like a disenchant that it doesn't kill at Exiles, but the kicker mode is insane. So I'm not sure if like people will play it or not. Like I'm at, like Elves could play this because it kills Chalice. Maybe they don't care about it anymore, but like it kills Merit Leash. I don't know, like I haven't been keeping up with like the Boomer decks that play disenchant, but I used to play a lot of disenchant Legacy. And I mean, this card just seems crazy to me. Obviously it's not like a flashy card, you know, like your Murktides. But it's just the kind of card that, like, oh, this is a bit better than a disenchant, you know, if, if you're playing these colors. You know, maybe elves would consider it. I don't know if it's good enough for them, because they probably play, like, Reclamation Sage. But uh, it kills Merit Lage. I mean, that, that exile mode's crazy. It kills, it kills Murktide. It kills anything. I mean, it's... it's Right, but then it, it costs four mana. So, yeah, this definitely seems more like a Pioneer card and a Standard card. I don't... Maybe Modern? Well, people literally play Disenchant and Legacy. Bug is... A color combination that has certainly been struggling for a long time after the printing of Prismatic Ending, and if there are any, you know, champions of that Sultai color combination, like, you could try it out. I think this is, I think there's, like, legs to it, but, of course, I will say that intrinsically, inherently, like, you've got bigger problems, you're playing Bug, you're not playing some of the best cards in the game, well, and you so... You're playing, like, a lot of colors. I mean, I would just keep an eye on this card, because people literally play Disenchant Legacy in the scum. This is, like, Obviously, the color, you could say, is worse, but it exiles instead of destroying and as a kicker mode. Yeah. And Legacy is oh, famous for t- tough permanents to deal with. There's a lot of tough permanents to deal with, like Dark Depths, Well, four mana chalice. is like a tall order, even for elves. I mean, the, the main problem is it doesn't go in, you know, blue-white decks because of Prismatic Ending. So then, yeah, you're talking about Bug, which has other it's problems. It's cool that it kills Calder, though. I'm cheating. I'm reading chat. Chat says it kills Calder, which it does. I'm very bullish, Terra Sunder. Bug also, um, it also has Abrupt Decay and Assassin's Trophy, so obviously those cards have costs, but this one also has costs, so I'm not sure that this one is better than either of those. It's probably like a one-of if you're playing it, right? Like, I will say this to the chat, I will buy every Terra Sunder you have under 35 cents, dude. I will put my whole net worth into this card under 35 cents. It's an uncommon, so... uh... It's literally just insane. It's like, there's never, it's literally the best disenchant they ever printed. Yeah, I I, I do think in like Pioneer and maybe Modern, but less so Modern. In Pioneer, this card's probably going to be really good. I mean, four, four mana there is a lot more of a home, and then also the versatility of this card is exactly what you want. You want, you want multimodal cards. Basically, like, the way I read it is like, everything is a double face card nowadays, and the, the front half of this being like a cheap, good card, the back half of it being like a decent mid-range card, 
Not so bad. Like I, like I, I said, it's not a flashy card that's going to show up and blow everybody's mind, but it's it's literally, I'm pretty sure, the best disenchant they ever printed in the game. Like, other end used to be a rare they printed in standard. So, like I said, it's not a flashy card, but I just read this card. I'm like, wait, is this literally the best disenchant they've ever printed, ever? Like, they kept printing, like, wilts and all those disenchants, and it's like, oh yeah, this is just literally the best disenchant ever so keeping my eye out for it if you ever need to play disenchant one last card which we kind of talked about earlier i'm glad that bob's first guess was this card when when daniel was like think about this broken card because i think this card is also insane and i'm talking about ley line binding right so this is five and a white a six mana spell it's in a flash enchantment but it has domain this spell costs one less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. That's insane, all right? We'll, we'll, we're going to put a pin on this one real quick. The rest of the card says, When Leyline Binding ETBs, Exile Target, Non-Land Permanent, and Opponent Controls, until Leyline Binding leaves the battlefield. So yes, basically it's a 6-mana Flash O-Ring domain. And to me, that seems insane when Modern has like the best deck in, in the Modern format is already playing these all these triumphs, and it just becomes so easy to splash like a fifth color to make this a one mana instant speed removal spell for literally anything. Yeah, it seems pretty good to me. Do you think you played in Legacy? Did you say that? Well, don't you need you need all five colors to make it one mana? So are you splashing that fifth color? Yeah, like turn one, fetch a Xandra's Lounge. Turn two, get the other two colors. Bang, you got it. F- figure out the mana a little bit better, but sure, yeah. Well, even if you play two colors, it's good because it answers Chalice. It an- like it literally like if you compare it to Prismatic Ending, it it answers like expensive permanents for only two mana. You can deal with Maddening Hex, Minsk, and Boo. There's a lot of tricky permanents, Dark Depths these days, and you can't Prismatic Ending because it's six mana. It's only two. Yeah, and like. You don't need five colors because you get four colors and then it's two mana and everybody's playing like these endurance expressive iteration pot lists. And yeah, it deals with any tricky permanent, deals with Calder complete, people were freaking out about. Seems pretty good to me. Kill deals with Murktide. Interesting. I, I didn't even think about playing this in Legacy, but maybe in four color it could be like I, I could try it out in four color, we'll see how it goes. I I just the thought hadn't even crossed my mind. I mean even if it's like a three mana like late game, a three mana spell isn't bad but i do agree that prismatic ending is not the end-all be-all i once thought it was and this card is cool to just test out try out and see how it goes i don't know like it deals with murktide because i've played four color in modern and i know that prismatic ending players can start freaking out and molding when they see a murktide and they have prismatic ending in their hand i mean this just deals with anything think about it like and for for, for two mana but in return you also get blown out by like besaju yeah i mean that's fine well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's worth a try. But since we started talking about it, um, let's talk about our second topic, which is modern. Um, Daniel, you call this a one deck format because you think four color is just the best deck. Four color is clearly the best deck, but there are a lot of decks that can prey on four color, which I contrast to legacy. Like there's no deck that really, I mean, maybe there's, I think the carpet Uro decks are pretty good against Delver, but um, they're not like insane. Whereas against four color, I think there are a lot of decks that are pretty insane against four color. Most notably, like the Valakut decks and some of the creativity decks as well. So I don't think it's necessarily a one deck format because four color has flaws. So what do you say to that? Well, I, I feel like, well, it was so four color, you could show up and somebody could show up with like Belcher or what's that crazy deck people play? It's called like Uncalibrated Blast. And then maybe your cards won't light up and they could beat you. But you can rebuild yourself for any hate deck. I mean, I, I've never respected Valakut once in my life. So I know that Stefan and those and Will played it at the mocks and maybe it caught people off guard. But, like, you have Besaju. So, like, you have Besaju. You can just Besaju their Valakit. You have, like, uh, a lot of, of powerful tools. So, yeah, you can beat four color by, like, kind of catching them off guard with the wrong threats. A lot of the combos takes quite a bit of energy to put together. And there's a lot of good tools for breaking about the, part of the combo. Because, yeah, there's Besaju. Um, there's Solitude. 
you have a, you and you have the traverse package. So yeah, maybe if you get graveyard hate, you'll, you'll shut off the traverse. But traverse letting you tutor for any creature or land, so you can find meddling mage, Beseju, uh, endurance, solitude. So so I I haven't played a ton of modern, but I, I will say this about the four color deck: if it does feel like the best modern deck I ever played, but maybe I'm just like better now than I was before. But like because at first I didn't play the deck because it was like too expensive to rent or whatever. But then like I think it got cheaper because it was a a bit of a, a dip with the cards. And I played it, I'm like, why did I ever play anything else? Deck, the, the fundamental reason I like the deck is just as, like, every single card people want banned. It has Renin Six, it has Teferi, it has Iteration, it has Yorion, it has Solitude, it has Omnath. Like, it has every card that people... And with Traverse, it felt so consistent, because, like, sometimes maybe Traverse is bad if it's not online. You fetch Omnath, you just fetch what you need, like, you, you know, it, it really makes the fail case much slower. You fetch Emrakul in the late game. So I'm, I'm, uh, I think four color is pretty nutty, but you can certainly attack it. Like, like I said, people you can show up with uncalibrated bats with Besage, you catch them off guard. Or maybe, maybe that creativity deck is good against it. I'm not sure may, uh, about that, but, but maybe it is. But I do think the deck's pretty crazy and it feels really annoying to play against because if you want to play a fair deck, you play creatures. They solitude it. They got Teferi. They got Ren and Six. They, they got Iteration. They got, they can traverse for literally anything. Like, what the hell are you supposed to do? It, it really just is. It's got all the pow- most powerful tools, but that's just generally what happens when you have all the best colors. Let me let me ask you another question, actually, Daniel, and that is, do you think there are any new cards from this set that you're especially excited for in Modern? There's one card that I'm looking at right now, which I'm kind of curious about, because I was even thinking about whether or not it was playable in Legacy, but have you seen the card Shadow Prophecy? Okay, so what color is that? And tell me, so I haven't read that card. I need to... okay, oh, wait, is that the Painful Shoes? It's two and a black for the instant speed divination, except you domain and like look at the top X cards where X equals the number of basic land types you have, and then take two, and then the other three go to the graveyard. Well, that, yeah, that could be interesting, because at first it's like, oh, isn't that worse than Painful Truce? But I guess like if you have like four or five basics, you look at like four or five um, types. That's definitely a playable card. Like I would keep that on my radar if you're, if you're playing a, a bunch of colors control, you know, you might want to look into that. You know, it might be better than Memory Deluge, for example, because Memory Deluge is four mana and only looks at four cards. Whereas this could be a three mana and look at four or five cards. I mean, you lose two life. Def- definitely playable, but it doesn't, like, scream insane to me. But I would say this, like, when it's new cards, it's really hard to tell before you play with the cards. There's a lot of times in the past, there's, you know, there's cards that's how it was busted that I didn't see play, you know. So I would say, like, it's, it's hard to tell too much. But yeah, why are you looking at that card, uh, into that card for you, though? I, I have I have a dream where one day I will play five color five color control and then just play all like the most broken cards. Also, I just or, or maybe not even okay. Let's say let's say it's like not even like five color. Just like what about like Shadow Prophecy in like I don't know like a three color like Esper based deck and then you have like one Triumph or something to splash for like Prismatic Ending and uh, and uh, or, or Leyline Binding and Shadow Prophecy just to dig a little bit deeper. It's it's I'm not saying it's good. I just thought that crosses my mind the, the effect is pretty powerful like memory deluge already sees play and i think this could be better than that so there's one card that's very good was actually it's very good was carpet of flowers so oh yeah kind of. domain and carpet wait uh wait why well because it's like you make a bunch of mana and then you cast this like painful truth is not a uh, great harder to cast like you just m- make a pile of black mana and then go black 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 cast this oh okay I see. Um, like it's just like an expensive spell to cast and it keeps the carpet fueled i will say this like carpet is probably one of maybe the best card you can play in silver but i needed a ton because it's just like flood out uh so i don't know if i'm leaking alpha but like putting ways to like keep your cards up so that you can like take advantage of carpet but yeah i'm not sure I, this card is definitely interesting like i was looking at it for pioneer for like maybe if you want a bit more you know cantrips in your deck going the, the obvious card that people might look at compared to this is Painful Truth, but it's an instant, and I didn't realize, yeah, you could look at four or five cards. It's definitely an interesting card. It doesn't scream as crazy. Oh, this is a Jeff card. 
Once I, I, gonna, yeah, I was going to say, I know Spike has been talking about this card a lot for uh, his, uh, what is it, Collected Company Bant deck, Aether Channeler. And I was like, I was looking at this card, and I was like, this is just like Manowar, but on like the juiciest steroids you could find, right? So Aether Channeler is two and a blue for the Human Wizard. And on ETB, it's a two-one, but it can make a one-one white bird with flying, uh, bounce a target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, or draw a card, which to me is like, why does this card have so much text on it? You see people in the chat are freaking out about Aluren. Did you know about that? Oh, wait, really? Does this work with Aluren? I mean, it's a three-mana creature. That's about as good as it gets. Uh, it's a 2-1, so Aluren, 2-1. You can search it up with all, both the recruiters, and it works with Cavern Harpy, um, but I don't think Cavern Harpy is really what you care about. What? Wait, well, I'm confused. Why, why is this Why is this good? Is it, actually, is it actually good? Subs every piece with Harpy. Weren't they playing that 1-5 that like bounced stuff? Like Dream Coil thing. Oh like yeah, like the yeah yeah Dream Stalker, and then there was also the Arctic Merfolk too. You don't need to play those cards anymore at the bare minimum. But oh, okay, wait, 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 yeah, yeah, you could draw a bunch of cards with this and Cavern Harpy. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, this is another enabler that also just does dumb stuff with Cavern Harpy. Okay, I'm actually yeah, maybe this card is legacy playable too. Then I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about this in the realm of legacy, but wow, dude, Dominaria United has had some insane cards. Actually, the more I Think about like the power level of this this set. It, it's it's actually just kind of like through the roof. Wow, voila. Well, oh, my impression was the set wasn't too crazy powerful to be honest. Maybe, but but what were you saying in modern? Because I was like, yeah, in Pioneer you can play this in like Bant Humans or you know in Pioneer. But did you say Spartan Spike was playing this in modern? <laughs> I don't know yeah, why you played yeah. this in modern. He's been playing like a collected company deck, and he's uh, happy to slot this in there, which is kind of interesting. It's definitely an interesting card. It feels like it reminds me. It feels like a card that like reads really well, but like people will be disappointed with. To be honest, because because I mean, obviously in Allure and it's different because then it's like actually like the combo with Cavern Harpy. But I mean, like outside of that, so it's three mana and you get a two one, and then you can either get a one one draw card or bounce something. Like none of those modes are that good. I know there's three modes, but like the one one mode seems pretty bad for constructed. Drawing a card, so you're cycling and getting a two one doesn't seem very good, and then bounce a mode. That's like the best mode. I mean, it's definitely a decent card. Like, if you have more synergy, like Aluren, definitely, because it you know, it actually goes off. And maybe in Collected Company, because, like, it's a three drop and, like, the bounce mode's better because when you're Collected Company, it's really nice to bounce something. Or, or, or like, maybe if you care about humans' triggers because it's a human. But I would say it, it definitely, it looks like the kind of card that people get crazy about and that nobody ends up playing. Though, I, But I would, so I would just say, like, synergy is the key thing I would be looking for this card. Like, it's, 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 it'll probably disappoint you if you're just playing it without any good synergy. But with synergy, then you can take it to the next, you know, get the extra value out of it. That's how right. I see it. Last card that I want to talk about is temporary lockdown. Have you seen this? Yeah, I heard everybody was freaking out about it, but I'm not really a good understander of removal spells. I only understand threats. So let's see. One white white for uh, an enchantment that says on ETB exile each non-land permanent with the mana value two or less until temporary lockdown leaves the battlefield. Which to me is kind of interesting. Um, it it's it's on. So like I always used to think of like in standard the the rate for a sweeper was four mana back when I started playing. You know like supreme verdict and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then you know there was a period where they bumped that up to five mana uh, for a sweeper. And this seems like an insane anti aggro sort of uh, card because it it doesn't like deal damage right. Like like think about like. I don't know, all the three mana like Anger of the Gods type effects. This is just like a little bit better than that um, early on in the game. 
In terms of like modern and legacy, though, I'm really surprised people were saying that this card was going to be really good because it, it just doesn't seem good. Like, I don't know, th th this card doesn't do enough, and the fact that you could like bounce it or destroy it with all the rampant artifact and enchantment destruction makes me really wonder like if this card is actually playable at all. I mean, maybe there are certain matchups, like temporary lockdown against like Burn, for example, in Modern, like if you're playing a white deck. Keep in mind then that you also can't have uh, non-land permanence with mana value 2 or less because it's symmetrical. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious about this, but maybe it could be good. The fact that it doesn't hit Planeswalkers also kind of sucks. I guess it gets... Uh, oh, again, it does get red in 6, right? Yeah, I, I would say... I actually thought of one use case that's good for this card. But first, I will say the thing about Standard, well, there's already a board wipe called Meat Hook Massacre. Which I don't yeah. know how much you keep up in standard, but everybody on Arena wants it banned or something. Also, I would say aggro decks have been dead in standard for a while. Okay. Like, it's kind of like a mid-range siesta now, because everybody... It's kind of like the old formats. Like, everybody just plays all the good mid-range cards. There's not really, like, aggro. Maybe, so, like, you're not really worried about, like, sweepers in that way. It's kind of yeah. like in Legacy. Like, you don't really want more removal. You kind of want to play the mid-range game. But I would say the one card this lines up well against is Acer Vile. I don't know if there's any other board wipes that knock out Acer Vile. So that's kind of nice about this. Like, is there any other good board wipes that knock out Vile? I mean, Explosives kind of, but that's not really, like, a board wipe. That's only CMC1. Yeah, so, I'm not, like, too stoked about it. If Goblins makes a comeback with Vile, though, it knocks out Vile. Vile always freaks me out. That card makes me uncomfortable. That's so, scary. I, I like that it deals with that. That's that's what stands out. That's the one of the main things that stands out. Obviously, it's like decent against mono red because it knocks out all their chalices. But I guess it misses the goblin, so it's like not really that good. I, I would say the main thing that stands out to me is just uh, dealing with Ace Revile. That's always an annoying card for control. I guess you have Prismatic Ending now, so you're a bit spoiled. But that that's that's what stands out to me about this. All right. Well, we're gonna wrap it here. Wrap it up here with today's episode. Um, thank you everyone for listening. I, my doorbell just rang. I'm going to pick up some mail. So that's episode 33. If you have any questions or if you have any comments, hit us up, twitter.com slash elopunters. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. All right, guys. Catch you for the next episode. Bye.